0: John chapter number 21, beginning in verse 1. It says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Now this is after the resurrection of Jesus. And in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And They said to him, we're going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat. That night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have ye any food? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat. You will find some. So they cast. And now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had removed it and he plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from land, about 200 cubits, dragging dragging the net of fish with them. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And then one other text, a short text in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. It says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up the companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one be overpowered by another, two can withstand him and a threefold cord. is not quickly broken. Today we continue in our series Relationship Repair. And I want to minister to you on the all-important subject when it comes to relationships that I'm calling putting in work. How many of you know that that's what relationships are? It's putting in work. Work that if you don't put in work in relationships, you will not have the kind of relationship that god wants you to have But we will see when we are committed to putting in the work. God will do his work through that relationship Let's pray father in the name of jesus. We give you all the praise and honor We thank you for the precious holy spirit We thank you that as I minister he speaks to me to the through me to the hearts of people Minister by your grace in jesus name and everybody said You may be seated Last week we established the importance and impact of relationships on our lives. We talked about how we were created for relationships and how the first not good in the Bible was it's not good for man to be alone. That God has made us for relationships. A fun way to remember this is that if you are not part of the pack, you are easy to attack. We were created for relationships. We are supposed to do life together. One of the negative effects of COVID is it has cut us off from community. It has cut us off from one another. It has cut us off from what we were created to be. And in many ways, it's, I believe, tried to influence us to stay isolated. But we are on dangerous ground when we get cut off from community and relationship because we were created for relationship. And we talked about that um, our destinies, are. Tied to relationship that we like to say a lot of the times that we are self-made. We say that pridefully and sometimes even arrogantly. Truth of the matter is, that is one of the biggest lies we can believe, first of all, because we are God-made, that God created us and he placed in us all of the gifts, talents, and abilities that we need in order to be who we are. And that's why when Israel went into the promised land, God cautioned them and he said, do not forget the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant. In other words, when you achieve, don't forget God is the one that has enabled you to achieve. That you're not really better than anyone else. That the fact of the matter is that God has deposited gifts, talents, and abilities in every one of us that helps us to be who we are. Moreover, in life, we are the byproduct of people who have sown into our lives. People along the journey. Some of us have had, uh, more people sowing into our lives for good, with good things than others, but everybody is the byproduct of some people sowing into Into their lives, whether it be parents or siblings, uncles, aunts, teachers, authorities in our life, friends, people sow into our life, and those relationships help form us and, and, and make us into who we are. And then we took it a step further, and we said our destiny is linked not only to what's been sown into us or provided to us by God, but the relationships that God brings us into, that God connects us with relationships. He uses relationships to assist us, and then we said, but the enemy because he knows that destiny is tied to relationship, uses relationships to twist us. God uses them to assist us. The enemy uses them to twist us. And so there are God-sent, God-meant relationships, and then there are devil-sent, devil-meant relationships. God wants to use relationships to advance our destiny, and the enemy wants to use our relationships in order to break apart or destroy our destiny. And so we said that with all of these relational dynamics going on in life, that we must have a high relational IQ in order to inform us as to what relationships we should repair and which relationships we ought to replace in our lives. Very simply, if it's a God sent, God meant relationship, we ought to repair it. If it's a devil sent, devil meant relationship, we ought to replace it in our lives. But one of the things that the enemy will often do if he can't get us to bite on a bad relationship, is he will disrupt a God relationship. And he will cause there to be a breach in a God relationship because if he can destroy the God relationship, he can accomplish his purpose, which is to steal the destiny of God. And so we talked about last time, how do we repair God-meant, God-sent relationships? And we looked at the example of Peter and Jesus, a God-sent, God-meant relationship, Not because it was Peter and a Savior, but even so, it was. But even so, because it was Peter and a friend. And so this was representative of a relationship that Peter had on earth. We have our heavenly relationship with our Father that is so important. That's the most important relationship. But then we have earthly relationships. And we looked at how this relationship became fractured. That it became fractured because Jesus told Peter, and you might remember he warned him that the enemy was going to try to sneak in and disrupt this relationship. Luke 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, Jesus said, Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he might sift you as wheat But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail and when you return to me, strengthen your brethren. He warned him that Satan was going to try to break this destiny relationship in order to stop Peter from being and becoming who God has destined him to be. And we all know that as Peter watched Jesus being crucified, as he watched before his eyes, the unexplainable from his point of view, the unexpected from his point of view happened. Life converged on the relationship. The relationship got put under stress that was not expected. And we looked last week and we found out that that's part of the reason. Matter of fact, it's most of the reason why good godly relationships get fractured because stuff happens that we don't expect. He didn't expect for Jesus to be crucified. Jesus was everything to him. He was unstoppable. He 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 was a miracle worker and now he's watching and Jesus is being crucified and Peter does the unthinkable. He does what he didn't plan to do. Sometimes when people make a mistake in a relationship, it's not because they set out to do it. The the pressures of life can sometimes cause it. And so he does the unthinkable and he denies his friend and his savior three times. You remember that. And he finds that this God sent God meant relationship is breached and a need of repair. And to make matters worse, it's harder to repair because Peter is full of shame. Because sometimes when we do stuff wrong, what gets in the way of reconciliation is the shame that we feel. We can sometimes feel like we've gone too far. We've, we've pushed the envelope too much. We've done what can, we can never recover again from. And shame gets in the way. And oftentimes that shame becomes this big barrier, this wall. We talked about it last week. The wall of shame. And we said, how do we overcome the wall of shame in order to repair God sent, God meant relationships. And these are keys that will work not just for overcoming the wall of shame, but to repair any right relationship that should be repaired in your life. And you remember we said that there were five keys, each one beginning with a letter in the word shame, but in jumbled order. And so we begin with M and we said that if we're ever going to repair right relationships, somebody needs to make the first move. Somebody needs to swallow their pride. Somebody needs to to swallow their ego. And somebody needs to say, you know what? I'm going to make the first move. I'm going to seek reconciliation. And we found out that whoever makes the first move is really most like the master. Because we serve a God... Who makes the first move? I don't know about you, but I'm glad about that. Because there are times that if God didn't move my way, I might have kept walking the other way, right? And God has done that all throughout scripture before our eyes. When Adam and Eve sinned and walked away from God, hid themselves and covered themselves with fig leaves, God came down from heaven and called out to them in the cool of the day in the garden because he made the first move to reconcile them. Moses committed murder, ran on the backside and hid in a wall of shame and was surrounded by shame on the backside of of a mountain, but God made the first move and talked to him from a burning bush. The scripture says when we make our bed in hell, God is there. He's making the first move. When the prodigal was in the pig pen, God spoke to his heart, said, go back to your father's house because he makes the first move. He left heaven and came to earth because he makes the first move. He died for us while we were still sinners because he makes the first move. And when we seek reconciliation in our life, we are most like the master when we make the first move. And so we talked about that, but let's be honest for a moment, as we kind of elaborate on this a little bit and go beyond where we left off last week, it's hard to do that. You know, just be like Jesus. you know, sounds simple, right? Just be like Jesus. You know It was easy to be like Jesus, Christians wouldn't have any problems. And believe me, Christians got a lot of problems. I know personally firsthand. I've seen them. Anyway. Um, and so how do, how do we do this? How do we hurdle? Our, our, our flesh that resists us to make the first move, to repair, again, right relationships. We're going to talk about in more detail in this series probably wrong relationships, but we're talking about right relationships, right? How do we make that first move? How do we become like Jesus? Because what gets in the way is our ego, our pride, our right to be right, and our sense of self-justice. We're like, well, I wasn't wrong. Why Why should I? reconcile in this situation. I wasn't wrong. And any time that in a right relationship, and I'll just use my marriage as an example, anytime time I feel distance from my wife in a right relationship and I feel like she's wrong, which most of the times is correct, she, you know. Anyway, whenever I feel like that, I hear the Holy Spirit say this to me, was Jesus wrong? Was Jesus wrong? Philippians chapter two, verse number five, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, right? In other words, he gave up his right to be right. And somewhere along the line, we need to cross over from this place of, you know, well, I'm right and I deserve better. And, and you know, they were really the ones that were wrong. And so I'm not going to say I'm sorry. And they're the ones that have to say they're sorry to me. And we need to realize that right relationships are worth suffering wrong for. Did y'all get that? Because, because the scripture says, if you suffer wrong, you know, for wrong's sake, well, good, there's no blessing in that. But if you suffer wrong and you've been right for the sake of repairing something that is right, then you are acting like you're a heavenly father. And so how do we get to that place? And by the way, that's a good word just for the world at this time. Because the world is like, well, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. You need to apologize to me. You need to do this, and you need to blah, 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 blah. And we need reconcilers in the world. We need people who really aren't worried about, you know, being right or being wrong. They're just worried about fixing what is broken. And oftentimes what stands in the way of fixing what is broken is our right to want to be right. And so we need to realize that that makes be, take, take a back seat what is most important in life. How do we cross over? How do we get to that place? Well, we take our lead from Jesus. Remember again what he said to Simon when he warned him about the breach in the relationship. Luke chapter 22, verse number 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. But I have prayed for you. Let me say it again. But I have prayed for you. I love when you think about this. Prayer, it causes us to be able to make the first move. It causes us to become more like Jesus. Contrary to popular belief, prayer doesn't change God, it changes us. It changes us from self-centered to other-focused. It changes us from believing that we have the right to be right to willing to suffer wrong for the sake of repairing what is right. It changes us from weak to strong. It changes me from me first to God first. It changes us from pride to humility. It changes us from I can't forgive you to even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven in me. Prayer opens my eyes or our eyes not to see the offense but the enemy behind the offense. It helps me to see that the battle is not really between you and me but between us and the enemy for our destiny. Prayer allows us to see that I'm not wrestling against you in reality when you're right for me. I'm wrestling principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness and heavenly places that are trying to disrupt this destiny relationship and stop me from becoming Coming and us from receiving what God has for us. Prayer awakens us. It takes the blinders off of our eyes. It exposes the true enemy. It makes me want to fight for us instead of there being a fight between us. Prayer helps us to be more like Jesus. One of the most important things that you can do if you are going to repair a destiny relationship is to make sure that your heart is right with God. And oftentimes when we get into the presence of God, what happens is God will just naturally lead us to take the focus of our prayers off of them and to shine the focus of the light on us. You know, prayers that will change a fractured relationship are not prayers God change them. They're prayers that begin with God show me. What, what can I do? What can I take responsibility for? Because, God, if I lay aside my right to be right and I suffer wrong, then we're on the way of repairing this relationship. And so that's what we do to be able to empower ourselves to make the first move. And here's what I love about prayer. Prayer puts, did you notice this, a big butt on what the devil tries to break up. Did you notice that? The biggest word in that, but I have prayed for you. I mean, I get excited when I see a but in the Bible, don't You? I mean, it is an excitement. Paul said we are we are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. And I get so excited when I see a Bible big butt. I like Bible big butts and I cannot lie. <laughs> Prayer puts a big butt on what the enemy tries to break up in your life. Pray those situations. Let God interrupt. What the enemy wants to do in your life, so that you are motivated to make the first move, key number two that I want to give you h in the letter shame h in the get help if you can 't heal on your own. This is where a lot of people go wrong. A lot of people, they just try to fix it between the two of them. And again, we're talking about right relationships, okay? Right? Sometimes you need to get help to leave a bad relationship. But I'm talking about get help to repair a right relationship. You've tried and tried and tried on your own, but you can't repair it. And we see this in the story because when Peter says, verse number three, I'm going fishing, did you notice all the other disciples, his friends say, I'm going with you? And I can't overemphasize enough how we need the right people around us when a relationship that is worth repairing finds itself fractured. We need people who are close to us who can give us godly wisdom in the situation. And if you notice from the text, it's really John who points Peter to Jesus. If you saw, we read in the text, it says the disciple whom Jesus loved, and by the way, John wrote that about himself. Isn't that interesting? The disciple who Jesus loved. What a great way to see yourself. Not as somebody that God dislikes, but somebody that God God loves me. I, I, I think we need to tell ourselves that because, first of all, it's true. But second of all, when you see yourself as someone God loves, then you can trust what God is doing in your life. And he says, John is writing this. He said, then the disciple that Jesus loves said to Peter, that is the Lord. What's the takeaway? The takeaway is that when relationships that we can't heal on our own need help, we need to get that help from people who can point us to what is God and what is not God. That's God right there. That's how God wants you to respond. That's how God wants you to act. That's what the word of God says about the situation. We don't need people who can give us relative culturalism for how to fix broken relationships because this world is topsy-turvy, upside down, calling right, wrong, and wrong, right. We need people who know Jesus around us. And John was one of these. John was one of these people. He was just as close to Jesus As Peter was, he was part of that inner three that we've talked about. He was the one who Jesus entrusted his mother to. Peter had the right person around him to help him when he found his relationship that was right in need of repair. And oftentimes what stops us from getting help is the same thing that separates us from, from each other in the beginning. It's that shame. We don't want to, we don't want to get anybody else involved because we don't want anybody else to know our business. We don't want anybody else to, to to know our problems. We don't want anybody else to see our warts. We don't want anybody else to think that we're not perfect. We want everybody to think that our relationship is really like those pictures on Instagram. Yelling and hollering at one another. Oh, hold on, let's, let's do a post. The love of my life. Meanwhile, you just cussed them out and everything else the love of my life, together forever, you know, relationships don't just appear like that, they, they don't just get like that, sometimes you need help in order to get to that place and James tells us in James chapter 5, it says, therefore confess your sins want to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed, not forgiven, healed. Forgiveness is an instantaneous act that happens the moment that we confess our sins to the Lord Jesus Christ because he's the or to the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ because he's the only one that can forgive us of our sins. But healing sometimes needs to take place even after forgiveness takes place. Forgiveness is okay, I release you, but my heart may still be hurting in the situation we still may have a repetitive problem that needs to be solved. And the only way that healing can come sometimes is through a vehicle known as help. And that requires us to swallow our shame and invite the right person into the situation in order to help and in order to give us godly advice. Listen to me, getting help means I'm so committed to you that I'm willing to get the help we need not to shame you or blame you, but to fix the part of us that is broken and worth fighting for. See, when you, when you refuse to get help in a relationship that you cannot fix on your own and you've tried, what you're saying is, I really am not as committed to you as you would think that I am. But help is like, you matter to me. And you know what? If we have to go and whoever we go to for trust and help says that I'm wrong and I need to change, then I'm willing to endure that, then I'm willing to own up to that. Because what matters to me most in this situation is not be me being right. It's a matter of us. Being right. Amen. Get the help that you need. Third and last thing I want to share with you today, but it's going to take me a minute, so don't get all excited. S, swim. In other words, a.k.a. put in the work As soon as John said, that is the Lord, verse number seven says, when Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. As soon as he heard that it was Jesus, what do you do? He jumped in and he began to swim toward Jesus. Now, what does this tell us as it relates to relationships? Number one, the first thing it tells us is that oftentimes when there's an outer shell of shame, there is an inner desire for reconciliation. Because as soon as he heard it was the Lord, on the outside he quit, on the outside he was distant, on the outside he thought he went too far. But as soon as he had the opportunity for reconciliation, what did he do? He jumped in the water and he began to swim. And not only did he show that he wanted reconciliation, even though outwardly shame said that he, was, he didn't think it was possible. Because many times that's what happens is that people put something on the outside to protect all different parts of their emotions and so on and so forth, but it doesn't always reveal what's on the inside. And notice what he does. He not only jumps in the water, but he leaves something very valuable. What does he leave? Peter was a fisherman. They're hauling in a net of fish. Now, to Peter, that's a payday. That's like, we're getting paid this week. This is going to be a good week. We're going out to Carmine's for dinner this week. We're taking everybody with us. I mean, we might even, you know, just go on a little family vacation with this haul that we got in. That's 153 fish. I can sell that. I'm getting paid. This. this is going to be a good week. But you know what he did? Jesus was more important to him than the payday that he was about to get. I just said a mouthful. You didn't even realize it. There are some things we sacrifice relationship for that are not as important as relationship. We sacrifice, for instance, family relationship for success. We're going after the almighty dollar. Chasing after it with everything we got. Working overtime with everything we got. Everything, everything. We're missing parts of life that we can never, ever get back again. One of the things that you will never regret is prioritizing your family above prioritizing the pursuit of success. Now, I pray to God that you can have both in your life and you know how to balance the two. But listen, if you're not the type of person that can have two and you gotta pick one, pick the relationship. You know what Peter said? Peter said, you know what? That fish don't mean nothing to me. What matters to me is the Jesus that I'm going to serve. It's Jesus that I wanna be with. It's that relationship that matters. And Peter realized something that apart from that, relationship with Jesus, he wasn't catching anything anyway. It was only when he began to get reconciled to Jesus that he actually caught the fish. Guess why? Because two are better than one. If you will repair right relationships, life will work easier for you than if you try to do it all by yourself. Get the help that you need. Swim. But this also tells me he jumps in the boat swimming. Anybody ever swim? Swimmers here? Anybody ever swim in the ocean? Swimming in the ocean ain't easy, right? I mean, you can swim in the ocean with all your might. You know, you think you went like 150 miles and you like went 10 feet. You're like, I'm still that far from shore. How come I can't get closer? Because the current is coming against you, right? Swimming is putting in work in order to reconcile that relationship. Listen to me. Success is never owned. It's borrowed. And the rent is due every day. That was genius right there. Let me say it again. Success is never owned, it's borrowed, and the rent is due every single day. Relationships don't repair themselves by themselves. You don't just wake up one day after you've had a problem, and this is how some people do relationships. Some people like have a big fight, you know, about the same thing over and over again. Wake up, act like it never even happened. And they expect like this is just gonna be solved, just gonna go away all by itself. And so they live with the elephant in the room. And the longer you live with the elephant in the room, the more space the elephant takes up. Elephant eventually bumps you off of the couch and says, I'm sitting here. Elephant eventually gets in between the two of you and you can't get close to one another ever again. And so people think their problems are just going to be solved all by themselves and they're not willing to put in the work. There's no shortcut to good relationships. There's no shortcut to a great marriage. There's no shortcut to a great friendship. You have to be intentional about it, committed to one another. Relationships don't repair by themselves. You have to make concessions and changes of behavior in order for relationships to be right. You've got to be committed. It's like swimming in the ocean. you got to put in the work. When you think about swimming as an exercise... It does wonderful things for us. Keeps your heart rate up, but takes some of the impact off of your body that you normally experience during exercise. It builds endurance, muscle strength, and cardiovascular fitness. Helps maintain a healthy weight, healthy heart, healthy lungs, tones muscles, builds strength. Provides an overall body workout as nearly all of your muscles are used during swimming. It alleviates stress. It improves in coordination, balance, posture, flexibility. It's a good low-impact therapy for injuries that you may have in your life. Here's what's true when you put in the work of relationships. It eventually produces good things. Less stress, happiness, somebody to share life with, celebrate with, share the load with, get wisdom from, somebody to do it together with. I mean, life is better when you do it with somebody than when you do it alone. And I'm not just talking about marriage or romantic relationships, but everybody needs relationships in order to achieve the fullness that God wants us to have out of life. And that's why the scripture says two are better than one. Peter didn't catch any fish by himself, but he got a boatload when he got reconciled to Jesus. Can I just tell you this? Expect it to take time. We become disillusioned, and we'll talk about the expectation gap a little bit next week in terms of repairing relationships. Because part of the reason why relationships get off course before they get repaired is because we have unrealistic expectation gaps as to when and how things should correct themselves. One of the things that we always have to, I'm preaching next week a little bit already. One of the things we have to factor into expectation gaps is this thing called humanity. That people don't always change as quickly as we want them to. And and by the way, it is not our job to change people in relationships. You know, some people get into relationships being like, I see that, I see that, I see that. But you know what, I'm going to change that, I'm going to change that, I'm going to change that, and I'm going to change that. It's a bad reason to get into a relationship. But what I want you to realize is that when a relationship is right and you get friction or fractures, what you have to realize is that bad habits are hard to break, but keep putting in the work. work. Don't expect perfection. The other person is not going to change right away, and neither are you. And here's what happens a lot of times. You get in the presence of God, and you pray, and God empowers you to give up your right to be right, and then you try, and you don't get the reaction that you're looking for. And because you don't get the reaction that you're looking for in the time, that you wanted to, you give up on the right relationship. Now, I say all that, I'm going to interrupt that message for a minute to say this. Sometimes you're trying to change somebody that you shouldn't have been in a relationship with to begin with. That's another message. But when it's the right relationship, it is worth the fight in your life. Swim. Put in that work. It's going to pay off in the future. It's going to give you the relationship that you want to have. Now, pastor, since swimming is such hard work, how do I make sure that I'm empowered to swim? And I want to give you this key and then we'll close. One of the things that I found out that we have to do if we're going to be inspired to put into work is to speak life over our situation. Because what happens in relationships is we have a tendency to always bring up the problems of a relationship that is right. And by bringing up the problems constantly and never speaking promises over your relationship, you kill hope in the relationship. You People have to have hope in order to keep fighting. If you don't have hope, you will not keep fighting. Eventually you'll throw in the towel and our words often steer the hope that we have in our heart. And so notice what Jesus does for Peter. He not only tells him that Satan desires to sift them as wheat, but he said, but I've prayed for you. In other words, I'm committed to this relationship. And then he says, and when you return to me, he not only tells Peter about the problem, but he gives Peter a promise in the situation. Don't kill the relationship by constantly bringing up problem, 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 problem. Speak some promises over that relationship. Give some hope to that relationship. Remember what the scripture says in Proverbs 8, 21, 18, 21 death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. I read about this little experiment done by this Japanese scientist, and I want to preface this by saying I'm not really sure like the the report is accurate, but I'll tell it to you anyway, and then I'll tell you why I'm telling it to you. He took these two uh, containers of rice, And and on the containers, he wrote these words on one container, nice words like, you know, you're awesome. Thank you. You're beautiful. On the other container, he wrote words like, you know, you're ugly. I hate you. You smell, you know, you're nasty rice, that kind of stuff. And he put the two containers in kids' kids classrooms and he told the teachers, every day have the kids say nice things to this container of rice and and ugly things to this container of rice. And after about 30 days, supposedly what happened was the rice that had nice things spoken to it and written on it was fluffy and beautiful and still live. And the rice that had nasty things written on it and said to it was like gelatinous and congealed and, and, and disgusting. Now, I read about it to find out if it was actually true, and I couldn't find any research to actually say it was true. So when it comes to rice, I'm not really sure if it works. But get this. When it comes to relationships, I'm positive it works. When it comes to relationships... I guarantee you that if you will speak positive things over that relationship, you know what, there's hope for us and you know, I forgive you and you know what thank you for doing that and that's so kind and I can't wait for us to do this together and so on and so forth. If you speak those positive things over your relationship, your relationship will be per- perky and fluffy and beautiful and all those it doesn't mean it will be, won't be without bumps in the road, but you'll be able to hurdle those things a lot quicker and so here's what I want to give you today do today. I want you to begin to speak over your relationships that are in need of repair. I want you to be able to talk kind to one another and not harsh to one another all the time. As your words go, oftentimes so will your relationship go because your words are either giving it life or killing the relationship along the way. There is magic, and forgive me for saying magic for all of you super spiritual people, but there is magic in certain words. Words like I'm sorry. Words like I forgive you. Words like you matter to me. These, there's healing in those words. Our words can produce healing or hurt. And if we're going to swim, if we're going to put in the work that relationships need in order to be repaired, we've got to set ourselves up for success because there are certain relationships in your life, your destiny lies in those relationships. Use them to the fullest of what God has intended for them to be. Let them be a birthing place where your dreams are encouraged and inspired and together you achieve everything that God wants you to have because two are better than one. Can you stand to your feet? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you all the praise and honor in this place. Father, our very relationship with you is indicative of everything that we just talked about. Father, we know we can't fulfill our destiny without you. We know you speak good words over us. The scripture says how wonderful are your thoughts towards us They're too numerous for us to even count. Father, you tell us how much we matter. and Father, you care for us in such a great way. You make the first move, Lord. You do everything for us to make sure our relationship with you is healthy. Father, right now I'm praying over relationships that matter, relationships that are right, relationships that are heaven-sent, but that might be hurting during this period of time. Father, that you would be the balm of Gilead and that, Father, you would speak to our hearts in something that we've just said, something that we've just learned would inspire us to put in the work that is necessary to achieve the wealth of success that lies within every relationship that you send into our lives. Father, I also pray that you would give us high relational IQs and the courage, Lord, to not just repair the ones that are broken that are from you but also to not waste our times on the ones that are not from you father i pray in jesus name that there would be a sense of your grace and peace father that it'd be a humility in heart where we don't have to be right where we would choose our battles where we would not let small things get in the way of our relational success father it's okay if we don't win every situation We're not going to let the enemy send useless battles into our god sent relationships so that we lose the war. Father, we're not going to be weak like that. We're going to be strong. We're going to trust you. Father, I'm praying right now for every right relationship that might even be here, that's watching, that might need repair. Father, that in the name of Jesus, you create soft hearts, kind hearts, Hearts that love you, hearts that want to please you. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name.